Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. Strategic leadership development expert, mentor to people leaders and HR professionals, combining brain science and practical frameworks for purpose-driven performance you can measure in work and in life. This is our guest today, Julie Quinn. Julie's greatest passion is to create experiences which equip and inspire people to engage more purposefully in their work and life, and her style provides a fun, irreverent, energizing place to challenge yourself and grow. Julie teaches strategic leadership in work and life, and she has excelled by taking bold strategic approaches to work and making bold moves in support of her own well-being and life purpose. With 20 plus years leading at the executive level and her unique ability to develop straightforward business processes to address the complexities of human motivation, Julie's leadership, management, and HR philosophies and frameworks have consistently been recognized for being uncommonly practical and effective. And we know Uncommon plays a very big role in Julie's life. Hi, Julie. Hi, Ed. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being here. We are so excited to have you on our podcast today. And I read a little bit about your background, but I'm sure our listeners would love to hear a little bit more from you about, you know, what you do today and how you actively interact in the marketplace. Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, So I am principal of Uncommon Consulting, and I have just recently launched something called UpSchool. The UP in UpSchool stands for Uncommon Practitioners, and we build uncommon practitioners of HR, management, leadership, and life. And that's what I'm most excited about uh, these days is is getting out there, uh, having conversations about what it means to be an uncommon practitioner at work and in life, and um, and helping people to uh, to become that. Uh, we do that through mentoring, coaching, and pretty much the uh, giving over of every single piece of uh, of presentation template. You know, um, work that I have done over twenty plus years of HR leadership. Um, so really, uh, our members can get. Uh, the value of uh, of my experience um, and my passion for uh, the good work that we can we can do both in the office and at home. Well, I love the fact that you have this kind of more holistic approach to people, and you're not just talking about your 
uh, work life, but you're also talking about life life. And I'm just wondering, you know, why do you bring those two together? Why is that such an important perspective for the work that you do? Yeah, it's it's such a great question. And the answer has evolved for me over time, uh, you know, really very, you know, from a logistical standpoint, we don't slice half of ourselves off and send it to work in the morning, <laughs> right? So. You know, and we don't, uh, when we come home at night, you know, slice off the home side and, you know, send that home to the kids. We are one person. And, you know, whatever, wherever we are, we are. And whatever we have in our head, we are you know, we are managing at the same time that we're trying to do work stuff or we're trying to do life stuff. So I think it does us a disservice to develop ourselves in one place without addressing the other. Um, so there's that. And the the other piece is, is really personal to me. I've always had a strong draw toward um, meaningful work. And in order to have meaningful work and do meaningful work, you need to understand what's meaningful to you as a person. And, and so for me, you know, work is, uh, is what, you know, often drives me to be a better person, to challenge me, to stretch me, to grow. And, uh, and I want that to have some personal meaning and not just be a place I get a paycheck. Um, so that's been kind of a hallmark of what I've done. And why do you think, Julie, that organizations don't look at people holistically as both a, a work life and a home life? It just seems like such a normal existence, right, that we're all complex, but yet, and I think this relies to bravery in the workplace, you know, sometimes people have trouble asking for a day off because of a family need or, uh, you know, making some kind of change due to a family situation at work, and they either don't do it or, you know, go in incredibly complex and nefarious ways to get it done. You know, any thoughts on, you know, why organizations, if you agree that they're not, uh, you know, haven't embraced fully the whole life experience of their participants, you know, colleagues? Yeah, such a, a, a great question. Again, you know, I think this has evolved over time as well, right? So we have in a fairly short amount of time moved from an industrial economy, well, from an agrarian economy to an industrial economy to, you know, and in much more rapid succession, you know, information economy, relationship service, you know, imagination economy, whatever we're in now, I'm not even sure what it is, but <laughs> it's know. definitely very fast paced and, and, and bleeds into all areas of, of life and, and other. Um, I think that we, that organizations do catch up with the reality of our work life, you know, separation in the past and integration currently and in the future. I think they catch up with it eventually, but it does lag. So, um, you know, where in an industrial economy, we had people come in and do manufacturing. You know, we did, they, the, the labor was labor. Um, and you didn't go home and think about the machine, you know, that you were working on or the, 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 the row you were hoeing, you know, you didn't think about that when you went home. It was, you shut off. And, and today, um, work, if you are not in a manufacturing labor position, is much more dependent on our intellectual, you know, um, attention. 
which bleeds, you know, into one place or the other. And, uh, and so I think organizations just take some time because what we teach in school is what we used to, you know, what is, is what we needed before, um, to, to staff our, our industrial economy and schools haven't changed that much. Um, Teachers, if they are not experienced out in the changing world, you know, are teaching what they were taught to teach, you know, and so we keep putting people in the workplace and then sending them to manage into management positions with lots of information about how work gets done, but not so much information about how people do the work that needs to get done. Um, it might be one course in the curriculum and, um, and we are taught to measure financial results, sales results, market results. We are not taught to measure or hold people accountable to the same degree as performance results. Um, and if we did, I think we would understand that people's lives matter <laughs> to the work that we're trying to get done, right? So that's um, that's sort of a practical answer, um, bordering on a little cynical that, you know, the organization just really cares to get the money in the door from the, you know, operations it has set up to do so. Um, and that if they understood that performance um, really depended on the balance of work and life and the the heart and soul of the employee being engaged in in said work, you know, that there would be more attention to it. Well, I agree completely with your assessment about how we educate people today to be leaders. And I've oftentimes said, you know, in junior high school and high school and college, we don't teach people how to be negotiators. We don't teach them how to navigate conflict. We don't teach them how to be brave. And they graduate college with a high knowledge of finance or legal or architecture or whatever their focus might be. And then they're leading people. And one of the first things they have to do is navigate a conflict or figure out how to get along with somebody. And we just have not demonstrated that type of training. And so it sounds like in the work that you do, Julie, you, again, try to bring these two perspectives, kind of the work life and the personal life into one, right, to recognize that everyone is a whole entity. I do. Um, I actually use two frameworks quite reliably um, to, 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 that, to that exact end at um, the, the idea of that intersection. One is a model that I use uh, that I call workforce efficacy. And workforce efficacy looks very familiar at the outset. You know, what is the organization existing for? What is it there to do? Whether it's make money for the owner or solve the world hunger problem. It doesn't matter how, you know, ostentatious your your mission is, but what is it here to do? Um, from that, there's lots of ways to get a mission done. There's lots of ways to make a, an owner money. There's lots of ways to address the, the hunger issue. Um, and so what is your vision for what you would like to build to serve that mission? That vision 
is 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 different from what you have today usually um unless your vision is to stay exactly the same through the changing world you know which i suppose would be an effort as well yeah <laughs> but it's, you know whatever possible. your vision is <laughs> whatever your vision is it is uh it requires you to go from here point a to there your vision point b and and the way that we do that is through a strategy and um your strategy um, is going to include, you know, your your financials and your your physical capital and um, your sales processes and your people, your talent, your culture, all of those things. I would encourage, you know, uh, or I do encourage my clients to think about from, you know, a a strict business sense. You know, what are you trying to do? What does it look like when you're doing it? And how do we get from where we are to where you want to be? So that we're doing it, um, the execution on that that strategy is what everybody's role is, right? Who does what in order to get that done? And then you have performance, and that is the 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 energy that every single human being in your employee brings to that to that effort from performance to mission. And I workforce efficacy, that concept is knowing the answer to all of those questions. What is your mission? What's your vision? What's your strategy? Who's doing what to execute this? And what kind of performance are we expecting from all the humans individually? So it's answering all those questions, but it goes then one step further, which is holding um, leadership accountable for what it takes to lead that, holding managers to what it takes to manage that execution and holding every single employee, not just frontline employees, but all employees from the CEO down, holding them accountable for the performance we expect. So, you know, all familiar concepts, but it it is the intersection between people and business in a way that the business can assimilate to its own good positive ends, right? Um, and so I'm really, I'm really proud of the model, first of all, because it's kind of cool to look at. Um, <laughs> but I'm also really proud of what it does, because when we talk about it this way, it just, it just clears out the, does this person deserve a sick day? Or isn't this person using their leave incorrectly? And, you know, just stop, right, with the judgment about who deserves what and where, what are we trying to do? Who do we need to do it? And what are we asking them to bring to the table? And if they're not able to do that, Let's solve for why they're not able to do that. Um, so I'll, you know, I'll, I'll stop there. That's that's one one model that I I use. the uh, the other The other piece is um, something called motivation factor, um, and I uh, was introduced to this about ten years ago. A little more, actually. It's um, uh, developed out of Denmark uh, by the Motivation Factor Institute, and I use their measurement assessments um, to help people measure the extent to which they are motivated and engaged in what the organization is asking them to do. And it shifts the accountability um, to the individual themselves for identifying and addressing what engages them. Um, and what doesn't engage them so that they can take a little more responsibility for connecting to what 
what we want them to connect to. Um, so the, the, those two things together is the intersection and solves so many of the problems. Well, I loved how you talked about the fact that these are not uncommon or uh, these are not complex concepts, right? These are kind of simple, basic. And yet we as leaders and as business professionals have such a hard time uh, performance managing, right? And if I was to do a podcast on something other than bravery, you know, I think I would do one on performance management because it still seems to be such a mystery for so many people. We love hiring people. And if they're competent saying, okay, good luck, and off they go. And we don't maintain, I think, the type of relationship we need to maintain in order to ensure that they make great progress. So I'm curious, you know, Julie, from your perspective, when you think about bravery in the workplace, are there any words or phrases you think of? There are a lot of phrases <laughs> I think about with well, just bravery. Just give me two or three. Uh, you know, I, I'm familiar with your work, and I love the question you ask about 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 bravery. I, I think it's brilliant, and the words that come up for me are terrifying relief, <laughs> which you know the two words together really embody the tension that exists in the concept of bravery. You know, there's this something that is drawing you towards doing something that is scary, that you know must happen, that when you're on the other side of it, provides some level of relief. If at the very least you got it out, you know, you, you did the thing. Oh, a, number of, uh, a number of my clients, when they've taken a brave step, so they've said something to their boss that they probably should have said two or three years ago, and they've been stewing on it all of this time. Uh, you know, they go back to their office and do a cheerleader jump. They feel so good yeah. that they finally got it out. And, you know, with coaching, did it in a very respectful way. Uh, it feels great, right? It feels fantastic. It really does, because we carry around, you know, we've got the bravery in us. It's just getting it out. I think that's the problem. And it feels so terrifying on the front end of it. Um, and then once we finally screw up the courage to do it, and we get on the other side. It is an amazing relief. You know, we can feel really proud of ourselves. We can feel relieved of a burden. We can, th that tension shifts immediately. I mean, it may bring different tension, but, but that tension shifts and nothing Nothing, nothing happens until something moves, right? I think Einstein might have said that. Um, and that's, you know, it's physics. You got to get it out. And then, and then stuff can move. We're going to pause in our conversation with Julie Quinn and ask that you join us at our next podcast as we continue to talk about bravery at work. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us this week. And we hope you join us next week as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at BeBraveAtWork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at CabotRisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, on Kindle and in audio everywhere online. Do you have something to say, yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do, yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.